We are starting a series uh, for the next uh, few weeks and maybe a couple months through the book of 2 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 through 11. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that you came to us, that you found us, that you are the great hound of heaven, that we would never come to you unless you woke us up and turned our cold hearts to you. So, Father, thanks for your amazing grace and your mercy. And I pray, Holy Spirit, this morning as we look at your word, that you would comfort us with, us with it, you would encourage us with it, you would counsel us with it. God, just give us the grace that we need. Holy Spirit, teach us. And thanks for your goodness to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the Lord of the Rings series, Frodo says, as he was chasing the ring, and he got the ring, and he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf said to him, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. When Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he would have said, I wish none of this would happen. I wish I really wasn't in this situation if he was honest and standing up here talking to them. He would have not felt like he wished these things he was dealing with had have happened. But they had happened. And so he was in this struggle. And he says it in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. This was none of Paul's desire. This was all of God. Paul, he was an apostle called of God who saw Jesus and was given a mission. He was called by God and by the will of God. This was not his 
plan for his life. It wasn't the desire of his life. And in the situation he was in with this church in particular, it was not what he had wished had happened. When he starts writing 2 Corinthians, he's kind of a wounded warrior. He's walking in weakness. And he says it all over 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the entire book of 2 Corinthians is Paul dealing with a situation and situations that he wished had never happened. Dealing with people who he, who he wished he didn't have to deal with them in this way. And he's walking in it in weakness. And what he's found out is that through weakness, that's where the power of God and the power of the gospel is strong. It's by weakness, not by his strength. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, gospel power, God said to him, is made perfect in weakness. So he's weak, but he's worshiping. And that's where we find the true comfort of God. And this morning, I want us to look at what is the nature and the navigation of gospel power made perfect in weakness. Before we get into that, this is the, we have to orientate ourselves in the text of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is actually, uh, you could say, 4th Corinthians. It's actually the fourth letter that Paul had written to the church. He had written a letter before 1 Corinthians, it says in 1 Corinthians 5.9, where he was making some corrections. He was talking, he had helped start this church, and, and they had kind of gone off the rails in many way. He had sent them a letter and trying to mention to them and show them how to walk in the Christian life. And then they sent back another letter to him asking for some questions, some more response, some more connection with it. And so he wrote them the book of 2 Corinthians, which is the one we have, 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is his response to his first letter after he asked some questions, some more corrections, some more instructions to this church. And then after he wrote what we have 1 Corinthians, he went and visited the church. Things were not good at that church. It was messy. It was, it was difficult. There was major sin issues, major problems. So he went and he talked to the church and he met with them in person and he had a bad reaction to it. They, they, they didn't like it. There was a bad reaction to it. And so he left and he thought about going again to see them in person. But it says he, he, there was such a bad meeting the, the time before that he just didn't want to do it in person. And so they, he sent a fourth letter, which is 2 Corinthians, to this church where it had now become people who had made some changes, had grown, but also now where there was a group of people that came into that church where they were attacking him and saying, Paul, you aren't an apostle. You aren't who we should be listening to. You're not the leader. You aren't the one who helped start this church. We shouldn't be listening to you because you're, you, 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 you came to us in your speech, and it, was, it wasn't very good. It was boring, quite frankly. Uh, your letters were powerful. Then you came to us, and you're like, uh, that's it? This is the apostle? And they had all these people who were saying, uh, in, especially in Greek culture, you, they were very articulate, and they had all these other people coming in telling them this is the way it should be, and power and strength. And Paul's writing to this letter in a, in a defense of his apostleship, and his apostleship in weakness to response to people who were not fully buying into him as the one who he was, but he still loved them. 
And he was writing to an attack. And he was also writing to this church in Corinth. If you've read 1 Corinthians or seen 1 Corinthians, this place was a mess. It was a big city, very metropolitan. Someone said of Corinth, they said Corinth was a freewheeling boomtown filled with materialism, pride, and the self-confidence that comes with having it having made it a new place and with a new social identity. The pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps mentality that would become so characteristic of that culture, but if we're honest, so characteristic of our culture right now. We, our culture, is very much like Corinth. And today, the conditions of our culture is Corinth on high caffeine. I mean, we are supercharged in this way. And the characterization that most of us feel every day as we get up to work is more. The pressure is more, more, more. Do more, be more, 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 more. And Paul's concern with this was that they were missing and messing with the clarity of the gospel. They weren't able to comfort themselves. And he was writing for them to get, help them, this church, get a right concept of the gospel and to clarify what weakness in Christ means. And it was written to the church of God that is in Corinth. This was written to a messy church. This is written to a church like every church, filled with messy, real people, dealing with real-life situations. But Paul calls them the church of God. That's significant. And then he says, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. So not only was it read and written to the church in Corinth, but all the southern part of Greece was to hear this letter and read it and see it and to help them grow. And Paul's concern was for them to grow spiritually and understanding what it means to live and walk in weakness in Christ to all the church of Achaia, and also to us. It was written for us in our instruction thousands of years later, and he starts out with talking about comfort. But we have to be clear. This comfort is not for Christians who are uninterested in walking the way God wants them to walk. The comfort that he's talking to and calling them to is a comfort for Christians who have a desire for the things of God. Kent Hughes says, if you are the type of Christian who seeks your own comfort and tranquility first, so that on the one hand you resist the excesses of sin, but on the other you will not discomfort yourself for the gospel and the body of Christ. If you seek only an untroubled life, this text is not for you. Paul has already been so clear. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The comfort of this passage are for the committed. And we must not make the mistake of applying Paul's words across the board to all Christians. So if you're a Christian who just kind of wants to make it through just enough not to look bad in your culture, not to look bad in your church, not to look bad in your community... And just kind of a nice, comfortable life. The comfort that Paul's sharing is not going to be comforting. And there is no comfort for that kind of life. But if you're a Christian 
who desires to grow and to be committed, the comfort and the sufferings and the afflictions that we go to, there's great comfort in 2 Corinthians. But what does weak but worshiping in Christ look like and lead to? First, what it leads to and helps us to know is that the obstacles to that, your obstacles to that are real. He says right at the beginning, this is the most personal of all of Paul's letters. And he says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced. Over and over, the word affliction comes up over and over in this, right at the beginning, affliction, 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 which is the idea of pressure or the idea of stress. All the stuff that you're feeling right now as you get ready to go into another week, all these pressures and these stresses and these troubles that come on us that come from all these different directions of our life. Work, family, personal, your thoughts, whatever the struggle is, these afflictions, this is what Paul's dealing with. And, and he says to them, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the aff- affliction that we experienced in Asia. He says, so we were utterly be- burdened beyond our strength. Paul says and describes real suffering in verse 8. This is what he was really going through. It, it was it was unbelievable burden, unbelievable stress, unbelievable affliction. And we don't know exactly what the stress was. We don't know exactly what, what he was dealing with. Some people think it was the riots in Ephesus that he was a part of, where the, the, the people tried to chase him out. Because of 1 Corinthians 15, 32, it says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, which some people think it was actually a wild beast he was dealing with, which I don't think is the correct interpretation of that. But some people think it was just this illness that they were struggling with physically. Some people think that also possibly there was this death sentence, that he really had come to a place where they'd been given some sentence of death and there was just no way out. But he's real about his suffering. He, he, is, he, he talks about his obstacles, There's real suffering. There's an honest and authentic response to this. There is a view of Christianity in our culture that is the prosperity gospel. Wealth, health, and if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be happy. There should just be peaceful. And there's some extremes to that, but there's also a culture in our country that says that that is even true. We want that. We just want to come to church we want to gather. We want to hear all the good stuff. Just pump me up. You know, make me feel good and then send me on. Paul didn't do that. Paul came to this church and he expressed to them, he says, I, I don't want you to be unaware of the, the real suffering. And he gave an authentic response to it. He said what he endured, the Apostle Paul, so what he endured, he says we were beyond our own strength. Which the word is like, it's just like a ship that is just so overloaded that it's just sinking. As his life was working out in Ephesus, he said, what happened to him? It just, we got overloaded. We had a pandemic, and then we had relationship problems, and then we had riot issues, and then we had struggles in our own personal families, and then we had car issues, and then we had financial issues. And he goes, it was just overloaded until we felt the boat was going to tip To the point, he says, that we despaired of life itself. He felt that things were, there was no way out. That this was the, and this is the Apostle Paul saying this. So if you'd have walked up to the Apostle Paul 
and came to him and said in that moment, Hey, tell me something good. Pray, would you pray for me? Do you know what his reaction would be? I'll try. I, I'm, I, he was despairing of life itself. He was authentic in his response. Your obstacles are real. When Christians gather, we, we are in a real world with real conflicts, real struggles, and there's approaches to pain that aren't helpful at all. We, we all do them. There, there's, an, there's an approach to pain and affliction that says, well, just, just escape it. Just, just try to get away from it. Uh, avoid it. Or argue with God about it. Or just ignore it. And one of the big ones that we can fall into is just indulge in self-pity because of it. Trevin Wax, Trevin Wax said this about self-pity. Feeling sorry for yourself has been developed into an art form. The whining and sniveling that wiser generations ridiculed with satire is given best-seller status among us. And we see it everywhere. And we are, if we're not careful, those are approaches to pain that we don't want to deal with. And even in the church, if someone comes in and they have a problem, people want to ask, well, God's good. That's not going to help me right now. Paul was despairing of life itself. He knew God, but he was despairing of life himself. That's escaping it, avoiding it, arguing with it, ignoring it, or just indulging in self-pity. But Paul had a right awareness of affliction. Paul had a right, and he wanted the church to know about it. He said, I want you to know. I want you to be very aware of the affliction and the sufferings that we have gone to. There was a right awareness that Christians can have crushing problems. If you walk into a church on Sunday and you have a crushing problem where you're almost feeling that you're despairing at life itself, this is the place where you should be. These are the people you should be with. And if you don't feel that way, it's not you. It's the church and the Christians. This is how Paul felt. He says, we despaired of life. Christians can have crushing problems. Jesus told us, don't be surprised by that. Over and over he says, don't be surprised by that. Often Jesus would tell people that. And he often said, and be prepared because Satan wants to prompt it into you. In Ephesians 6 he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your obstacles are real in life. Your struggle this week was real. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul had that struggle to the point where he, didn't, he thought this was the end. He, he, he didn't know what was going to happen any further. So where do we get comfort? And how are we supposed to then comfort others if that's true? And the answer he also gives is endurance. But it's not the natural endurance of the self. It's not the pluck yourself up by the bootstraps endurance. He said after this experience, he said in verse 9, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Endurance of weakness in worshiping, is this endurance that's directed to God. He went through real suffering. He was really grieving. He was really despairing of life itself. 
But he realized, he put his eyes on God. He directed that grief to God. And he said it was to help us not rely on ourselves. He realized that as they were going through that, the Apostle Paul realized, I'm trying to do this on my own. I'm trying to make it through this week on my own. And he went through this difficulty to help him realize that I can't depend on my own strength. It's I need a different kind of endurance. The problem with us is not that we are too weak, but that we are too strong. The problem is that we, we, we come across situations and we trust God, but we think we can still deal with it ourselves. So we press on, we push on, we, we strive on. We don't want to ask anybody for help. You know, I, I'm not going to ask you to pray for me because I can handle this. Pray for somebody else who's got bigger issues. Because we think we are too strong. And the problem is we're not weak enough. That's what Paul had to realize. He had to realize, I couldn't, I couldn't depend on myself. It's an endurance that's directed to God, and it's an endurance that's dependent on God. It's to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is what he, what he learned. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned. When they, when they went to the fiery furnace, they, they, they were following after what God told them to do. They got cast into the fiery furnace for following God, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And it says in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we are able to serve, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. There, there was this endurance that was dependent on God that Paul realized God raises the dead. He does raise the dead. So no matter what, even if your greatest fear comes to fruition as a Christian, God raises the dead. Somewhere there's going to be a resurrection. It, it, it's it's going to get turned around. Paul said, God raised, this is what they, they realized, that it, it was an endurance that was dependent on God, it was an endurance that was devoted to God. Because he says, and he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and these are all present tenses, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver again. He's like, this is what we realized. That God raises people from the dead. He looked at Jesus and saw that Jesus went through the worst, and he was rose from the dead. And he looked at his life and realized this is what God does. He, he raises the dead. So if, if he allows a bad thing to happen and it's crushing, it's not the end for the Christian. There's going to be a resurrection that's going to come. He's going to do something because God raises people from the dead. Jesus is alive. God uses, Hudson Taylor said, men and women who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. The problem is we're too strong, we think. We're not weak enough. I've been to the hospital with different people in our church who've gone through rehab. I went to their rehab sessions with them to talk to them. And there's always those parallel bars at the rehab. And the picture of what I think Paul was showing us in our weakness and what we have to see is that our lives, as we go through these afflictions, what will help us be weak in our worshiping 
is, is looking at these things, pausing enough to see the parallel bars. We, we, we come in on a wheelchair, unable to walk. And we've got to make it through life. And we have to take on one side and see one of the bars that we hold on to is the sovereignty of God. When God called Saul, when Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Way at the beginning, before any of this took place, Acts 9, 15 and 16 says, go. God talked to Ananias and said, said go, go talk to Paul, the persecutor. He, he's one of mine now. And Ananias said, are you sure? And God said, go. And he said in Acts 9, 15 and 16, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. At the beginning, before when Paul became a Christian, God said, go talk to him. He's going to suffer for my name. What we have to realize is God is sovereignly over all of our afflictions. He's over every situation that you've come into. He, he ordained your life. He, 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 there's nothing that shocks him. There are no surprises. You have to see one bar as the sovereignty of God, and you have to see the other bar as the shepherding of God. If it's true that God has planned for us afflictions and sufferings like he did for the Apostle Paul, it's also true that he will shepherd us in those afflictions and sufferings like he did for the Apostle Paul. Isaiah 49 says that Jesus himself was weary of his own life, he was the true one Isaiah is talking about. He was wondering, is any of this worth it even? And Isaiah 58, 11 says, and the Lord will guide you continually. Those are the two bars that we in our weakness have to look at. When you go through a situation and you get your teeth knocked out, what you have to do is look at the parallel bars of the sovereignty of God and the shepherding of God but the only way you're going to take the step to reach them is knowing the surety of Jesus Christ, that he rose from the dead. And you take one step in repentance and say, God, who do I think I am? What do I think I deserve? I deserve your wrath, but you love me in Christ, so I repent. And the other step is faith. You take those steps, you reach the bars, and you walk. By God's grace. And you remember as the old theologians would say, behind the travail of every affliction is a blessing waiting to be born. The answer to our struggle is endurance. And when we understand that, and when we walk through that, and when we're holding on to the bars of the sovereignty of God and the shepherding of Christ and repentance and faith, the opportunities for us are unbelievably endless because after Paul said this, he said, listen, in verse 11, he, he told them all these things. He, he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. He had this, he had, he said, I, I'm weak. Weakness is the way to walk. And now I need your help. I, I need you. You must pray for us. I shared a prayer request with someone a couple weeks ago. 
there was a, a burden, an affliction for us. And, and I, I shared it, and the response was not to avoid me, not to run, not to patronize, not to tell me how to fix it. The response was, I pray I've been there. And they prayed, and they sent me a note later. A couple days later, they sent it, and at the end of it, this person said, thank you for allowing me to be a part of God's amazing work. This person understood afflictions are real in life and that we must pray so that many will give thanks, that many will lift up their eyes. We, we, we pray and we partner. That's what it means. It says that God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. All of it is for us to come along the other side of other people. We don't go through our trials for nothing. We go through them as Christians not so they become some cul-de-sac for us, but that they can be this unbelievable bridge to us to reach out to other people. We can share and partner with people, and then it turns to praise. Because at the end of this, he goes, you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks. Many people are going to lift their eyes up to God and give thanks and praise to God. Our, our opportunities are endless when we see that we are weak, and it's in our weak worship God calls us. Old saints amaze me. And this week, I, I learned of a man named Martin Rinkert in the 1600s. He, he, he wanted to pastor his hometown church back in, what was Saxony? It was actually now Germany, six, in the 1600s. They told him no. Seven years later, they called him to come back. He comes back, pastors this little town surrounded by a wall, and a year after the town, after he came back in, the 30-year war broke out, which was all of Europe fighting. We don't hear much about that anymore, but at the end of that war, 20% of Germany's population had died. A year after Martin became the pastor, a plague destroyed the area. 8,000 people in a year died in his little village. There was five pastors in that town. One of them said, I'm going to go catch some air, and I'll, I'll be back, and he never came back. And the other three died, leaving Martin Rinkert, the only pastor in this little walled town where all these refugees were pouring in because of the 30-year wars, the one little town that had walls to protect them, and disease and death was everywhere. Some days, Martin was doing 40 funerals a day. In his ministry, he did 4,480 funerals, plus his wife. The 30-year 30 30 war ended. The plagues was done. A year after they ended, a year after it was done, Martin Rinkert died. But this man, who was dealing with plague, going day after day to the death, the sickbed of death people, doing 40 to 50 funerals a day, was able to write the well-known little hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. In the midst of all that, this is what he wrote. Now thank we all our God, 
with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done in him in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. O may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and him who reigns with him in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom heaven and earth adore, for thus is was is now and shall be evermore. How does a man who endures and saw that much affliction write that? Because Martin Rinkert realized that the only way he was going to survive is becoming weak to himself and strong in God. Trusting in the sovereignty of God and trusting in the shepherding of God and walking by weakness in faith. And even when he didn't feel the words he wrote, he believed them and he asked for the grace to believe them. Our opportunities are endless in prayer, in partnering, and in praising. If we will learn to be weak but worshiping, because our hope then will be unshaken.